0: part two chapter six of the country house by john galsworthy this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter six the park there comes a day each year in may when hyde park is possessed a cool wind swings the leaves a hot sun glistens on long water on every bough on every blade of grass the birds sing their small hearts out the band plays its gayest tunes the white clouds race in the high blue heaven exactly why and how this day differs from those that came before and those that will come after cannot be told it is as though the park said to-day i live the past is past i care not for the future and on this day they who chance in the park cannot escape some measure of possession their steps quicken their skirts swing their sticks flourish even their eyes brighten those eyes so dulled with looking at the streets and each one if he has a love thinks of her and here and there among the wandering throng he has her with him to these the park and all sweet-blooded mortals in it nod and smile there had been a meeting that afternoon at Lady Malden's in Prince's Gate to consider the position of the working-class woman. It had provided a somewhat heated discussion, for a person had got up and proved almost incontestably that the working-class woman had no position whatsoever. Gregory Vigil and Mrs. Shortman had left this meeting together and crossing the serpentine struck a line over the grass mrs Sharpin said gregory don't you think we're all a little mad he was carrying his hat in his hand and his fine grizzled hair rumpled in the excitement of the meeting had not yet subsided on his head yes mr vigil i don't exactly we're all a little mad what did that woman lady malden mean by talking as she did i detest her oh mr vigil she has the best intentions intentions said gregory i loathe her what do we go to her stuffy drawing-room for look at that sky mrs shortman looked at the sky but mr vigil she said earnestly things would never get done sometimes i think you look at everything too much in the light of the way it ought to be the milky way said gregory mrs shortman pursed her lips she found it impossible to habituate herself to gregory's habit of joking they had scant talk for the rest of their journey to the s r w c where miss mallow at the typewriter was reading a novel there are several letters for you mr vigil mrs shortman says i'm impractical answered gregory is that true miss mallow the colour in miss mallow's cheeks spread to her sloping shoulders oh no you're most practical only perhaps-i don't know perhaps you do try to do rather impossible things mr vigil billcock buildings there was a moment's silence then mrs shortman at her bureau beginning to dictate the typewriter started clicking gregory who had opened the letter was seated with his head in his hands the voice ceased the typewriter ceased but gregory did not stir both women, turning a little in their seats, glanced at him. Their eyes caught each other's, and they looked away at once. A few seconds later they were looking at him again. Still Gregory did not stir. An anxious appeal began to creep into the women's eyes. Mr. Vigil, said Mrs. Shortman at last. Mr. Vigil, do you think... Gregory raised his face. It was flushed to the roots of his hair read that mrs shortman handing her a pale gray letter stamped with an eagle and the motto strenus aria penna he rose and paced the room and as with his long light stride he was passing to and fro the woman at the bureau conned steadily the writing the girl at the typewriter sat motionless with a red and jealous face mrs shortman folded the letter placed it on top of the bureau and said without raising her eyes, Of course it's very sad for the poor little girl, but surely, Mr. Vigel, it must always be so as to check to check Gregory stopped, and his shining eyes disconcerted her. They seemed to her impractical. Sharply lifting her voice, she went on. If there were no disgrace, there would be no way of stopping it. I know the country better than you do, Mr. Vigel gregory put his hands to his ears we must find a place for her at once the window was fully open so that he could not open it any more and he stood there as though looking for that place in the sky and the sky he looked at was very blue and large white birds of cloud were flying over it he turned from the window and opened another letter lincoln's inn fields may twenty four eighteen ninety two my dear Vigil, I gathered from your ward when I saw her yesterday that she has not told you of what I fear will give you much pain. I asked her point blank whether she wished the matter kept from you, and her answer was, he had better know, only I'm sorry for him. In sum it is this, Valu has either got wind of our watching him, or someone must have put him up to it he's anticipated us and brought a suit against your ward joining george pendyce in the cause george brought the citation to me if necessary he's prepared to swear there's nothing in it he takes in fact the usual standpoint of the man of honor i went at once to see your ward she admitted that the charge is true i asked her if she wished the suit defended and the countersuit brought against her husband her answer to that was I absolutely don't care. I got nothing from her but this, and though it sounds odd, I believe it is true. She appears to be in a reckless mood and to have no particular ill will against her husband. I want to see you, but only after you have turned this matter over careful. It is my duty to put some considerations before you the suit if brought will be a very unpleasant matter for george a still more unpleasant even disastrous one for his people the innocent in such cases are almost always the greatest sufferers if the cross suit is instituted it will assume at once considering their position in society the proportions of a cause celebre and probably occupy the court and the daily presses anything from three days to a week perhaps more and you know what that means. On the other hand, not to defend the suit, considering what we know, is, apart from ethics, revolting to my instincts as a fighter. My advice, therefore, is to make every effort to prevent matters being brought into court at all. I'm an older man than you by 13 years. I had a sincere regard for you, and I wish to save you pain. In the course of our interviews, I have observed your ward very closely and at the risk of giving you offense, I'm going to speak out my mind. Mrs. Bellew is a rather remarkable woman. From two or three allusions that you have made in my presence, I believe that she is altogether different from what you think. She is, in my opinion, one of those very vital persons upon whom our judgments, censures, even our sympathies, are wasted. A woman of this sort, if she comes of a county family and is thrown by circumstances with society people, is always bound to be conspicuous. If you would realize something of this, it would, I believe, save you a great deal of pain. In short, I beg of you not to take her or her circumstances too seriously. There are quite a number of such men and women as her husband and herself, and they're always certain to be more or less before the public eye. Whoever else goes down, she will swim, simply because she can't help it. I want you to see things as they are. I ask you again, my dear Vigil, to forgive me for writing thus, and to believe that my sole desire is to try and save you unnecessary suffering. Come and see me as soon as you have reflected. I am your sincere friend, Edmund Paramore. Gregory made a movement like that of a blind man both women were on their feet at once what is it mr vigil can i get you anything thanks nothing nothing i've had some rather bad news i'll go out and get some air i shan't be back to-day he found his hat and went he walked towards the park unconsciously attracted towards the biggest space the freshest air his hands were folded behind him his head bowed and since, of all things, nature is ironical, it was fitting that he should seek the park this day when it was gayest. And far in the park, as near the center as might be, he lay down on the grass. For a long time he lay without moving, his hands over his eyes. And in spite of Mr. Paramore's reminder that his suffering was unnecessary, he suffered. And mostly he suffered from black loneliness, for he was a very lonely man, and now he had lost that which he had thought he had. It was difficult to divide suffering, difficult to say how much he suffered, because being in love with her, he had secretly thought she must love him a little, and how much he suffered because his private portrait of her, the portrait that he and he alone had painted, was scored through with the knife and he lay first on his face and then on his back with his hand always over his eyes and around him were other men lying on the grass and some were lonely and some were hungry and some asleep and some were lying there for the pleasure of doing nothing and for the sake of the hot sun on their cheeks and by the side of some lay their girls and it was these that gregory could not bear to see for his spirit and his senses were a-hungered in the plantations close by were pigeons and never for a moment did they stop cooing never did the blackbirds cease their courting songs the sun its hot sweet burning the clouds above their love chase and the sky it was the day without a past without a future when it is not good for man to be alone and no man looked at him because it was no man's business but a woman here and there cast a glance at that long tweed suited figure with the hand over the eyes and wondered perhaps what was behind that hand had they but known they would have smiled their woman's smile that he should so have mistaken one of their sex gregory lay quite still looking at the sky and because he was a loyal man he did not blame her but slowly, very slowly, his spirit, like a spring, stretched to the point of breaking, came back upon itself, and since he could not bear to see things as they were, he began again to see them as they were not. She's been forced into this, he thought. It is George Pendyce's fault. To me she is, she must be, the same. He turned again onto his face and a small dog who had lost its master sniffed at his boots and sat down a little way off to wait till gregory could do something for him because he smelled that he was that sort of man End of chapter six